0: truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Have you ever read Exodus and struggled to understand what all of this has to do with Jesus and being a Christian? Have you ever wondered how Moses and the Passover directly connects to living out our lives as followers of Christ? Well, if these are questions that you're interested in understanding in a deeper way, then episode three of our Easter series is just for you. Let's dig in. So here we are. It's episode three on the Easter series, and I want to start off with something that happened me the other day, and I think it'll help kind of tie in the theme of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Exodus and how it directly ties into the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for your life right now, today. So I was going through my Facebook timeline the other day, and a video of a dog jumping up and down in their owner's arms popped up, and I have to admit... I definitely checked it out and I may have cried a little bit, but just a side note, I am a sucker for emotional pet rescue videos. So this is actually a normal thing for me to do for those of you who may find this odd. But either way, today, this time was a little bit different because it kind of hit me in a different way, hit me to the core of my heart. It was a A journey of a dog who was so malnourished and skinny that it could barely walk around and there was video of it and it was limping and it could barely even stand. It ended up just laying on the ground because it was so weak and I don't remember the exact conditions the dog was found in but it had been abandoned for a long period of time and it was extremely close to the point of death. Now a group of people had surrounded this dog, yet in the current state that this dog was in, it didn't trust anybody and was barking and baring his teeth and it was basically saying to the people that he did not want to be touched or handled. Now this was such a sad condition for this dog to remain in, yet no matter how much that dog didn't want to be touched or handled, out of pure compassion for that dog's life... These people around it were determined to rescue it and bring it back to good health. So the video walks you through this journey of the dog coming back to life, and there was ups and downs, but through it all, you would see that at the end, there was this beautiful and healthy and happy dog who purely loved its new owner, the one who rescued it out of their own despair. And as we go the story into the story of the Exodus in the Bible, it reminds me so much of this situation. We see a God who made a covenant with his own people, and they had found themselves in big-time trouble and desperation. They were in that spiritual malnourishment place where they could barely stand on their own. And as as Abraham's children, which we will begin to call Israel or Hebrews— They settled into their own lands, and a big famine had swept, okay? So they had reached into the land that Abraham had been called to. They were in that land, but a big famine swept over the land. And God, in his sovereign knowledge, had prepared them for the famine by way of allowing a very tragic and dysfunctional moment to take place within their family and within the story of Israel as a nation, God's providing and sovereign hand would then lead them into the land of Egypt where they were taken in as special guests. And it was in Egypt that they were actually able to survive the famine and endure as a nation. So the story goes like this. Joseph was a very loved son of Jacob, and his brothers despised him for this and for the favor of God that appeared to be on his life. So they sold Joseph to slave traders who eventually would take him to Egypt. Joseph had so much favor in his life that through all of the ups and downs of being a slave and ending up in prison, he actually ended up to be second in command in Pharaoh's government. So when the famine hit the land that Israel lived in at that time, they traveled to Egypt to buy food, and they were completely unaware that Joseph was in charge of the distribution of this food. Now, in a great moment of redemption and forgiveness, Joseph reconciled with the very brothers who'd sold him into slavery, and the children of Israel were united together as one. And because of the prestigious position that Joseph held, all of Israel was then welcomed into the land of Egypt where they would survive the famine. So much stuff to talk about. So much stuff was going on in this great story that you read actually in Genesis chapter 37 to 50. But um, the setting that I wanna focus in is Egypt and uh, them being in Egypt and the children of Israel and how this all kind of ties in. So Let's get into the story. I hope you guys are kind of, your interest is piqued, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the point, and I know you're probably wondering, okay, we're talking about slavery and 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 Joseph, and how does any of this have to do with the resurrection? Well, track with me, uh, because this will all tie together. So the setting is Egypt, and this is where we're going to start today. But however, the time frame is hundreds of years later, okay? Israel was still living in Egypt. Remember, they went from their land that Abraham was promised, that God showed to Abraham, but Because of the famine, they traveled to Egypt to survive. So they were still living in Egypt. However, the only thing is Israel was no longer friends with Egypt. There had been a transfer of leadership. The previous king had died off and Israel had grown into a bigger nation. They were becoming a threat to the new Pharaoh who was on the throne. And in an attempt to protect his own reign, he actually enslaved the Hebrew people. Now, in episode two, we read a promise that God made to Abraham that his children would become a a great nation and eventually would be blessings to the nations of the earth. However, Tied into that interesting declaration was the warning that Abraham's own people would be enslaved for 400 years. The Bible said they would be mistreated and strangers in a land that is not their own. Now, this warning God gave to Abraham hundreds of years prior to Israel coming to Egypt was now in full effect, and this is the setting that we see. It's interesting how in Genesis 15, God had given them, had given Abraham a heads up about this. I'm going to make your nation great. I'm going to bless them, but they are going to go through 400 years of suffering, and then I will deliver them from this. So this is the setting that we're in. Now, let's pull back for a second, and I want you to look at a theme that is actually developing within the Bible. This is a theme that will consistently pop up throughout the entire Old Testament, and that's the theme of exile. Here we see God's people enslaved and being treated less than what their true identity is, and that's a great nation that's set apart for God's own purposes. And here are pagan rulers and ungodly, wicked, and cruel people controlling the destiny of God's people. Now, what's about to happen is going to teach his people something, and we should make special note of this. So let's hop back in. So here we are. The setting is Egypt and God's people, Israel. They're slaves who are forced into labor every day by very cruel and mean taskmasters. I mean, these taskmasters were mean. They did not care about crying. They did not care about the pain. They did not care if it was a woman, a child, or who it was. They were enforcing this labor upon a broken people and could care less. They looked at these people like they were property, not human beings. So the Bible focuses in on a man named Moses, who we read about being a very unlikely character who would be up for the task that he was about to be assigned to. Out of God's sovereign hand, which, by the way, is a theme that we will consistently see throughout Scripture, but out of God's sovereign hand moving in human history, we see that God allowed a Hebrew boy named Moses to grow up in the palace of Pharaoh. Now, Moses grew up completely unaware of who he was because it was actually Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him during a time when Pharaoh, the other Pharaoh, was killing all of the male Israelites who were being born during that time. Pharaoh's daughter felt compassion for Moses when she discovered him floating down a river that she was walking up to. Moses' mom had put Moses on a floating basket when she heard about this death sentence that the Pharaoh had put, him, had put out for all of the males being born in, in, in the Hebrew uh, nation. So Moses' mom sent him down the way in hopes that he would be ultimately rescued from this death sentence that he was under from Pharaoh and it's interesting because Pharaoh's daughter indeed rescued Moses and we'll see that's that's actually a type A foreshadow of what's going to happen through the life of Moses for his whole people and not just him. So, but in this moment, Pharaoh's daughter rescues Moses and adopted him and raised him as her own son in Pharaoh's palace. And as we'll read, that Moses grew up eventually realizing that he's not like all the other Egyptians. And in fact, his people are actually the Hebrew slaves that the people who raised him are, are uh, mistreating and, and forcing into labor. And the very Hebrews that his family has enslaved are, being the, are the ones that are being treated like mere animals. Moses, of course, begins to resent the Egyptians and eventually takes justice into his own hand and kills a taskmaster who is brutally beating a Hebrew slave. Moses would end up having to flee Egypt and become a fugitive, fugitive of justice, excuse me. But one day God would visit him and change the course of human history. And I love what happened. Uh, There's so much that we can talk about, but we're going to kind of focus in on on Moses being the rescued one and Moses uh, being used by God to rescue his people. So, God would reveal himself to Moses and assign him the task of confronting Pharaoh and demanding that he let the Hebrews go. Pharaoh would refuse, and this is, of course, like most leaders, they are prideful and they think that they have everything under control, and this is Pharaoh right here. He's not scared of the God of Israel, so he refuses. And this would begin a cycle of plagues that God would send to Egypt in order to show him that, hey, I'm the God of Israel, and mind you, I'm the God who created the universe, who created the stars, who who put breath in man's lungs, and who who allows everything to even take place in the shape of history. So, uh, when I tell you to let my people go, I mean business. And because Pharaoh resisted, this cycle of plagues was to demonstrate God's sovereign power, and which would eventually force Pharaoh to let the Hebrews go. So. Pharaoh continued to ignore the words from God until this final plague that God promised Moses would be the one that would force the hands of Pharaoh and he would finally release the Hebrews. So let's pull back for a second and do a quick recap. I think you'll find that what we are seeing is a lot more relevant to your life than it may first appear upon reading it. I know it's easy for someone to read this part of the Bible and to think to themselves, why is the Old Testament so weird? I mean, we got frogs and locusts and some pharaoh guy who I've seen some movies of him in the past, and he's wearing a skirt and he's got makeup on, and then we got God's peoples are slaves, and they're they're making bricks. And I mean, where is God anyways? I mean, why would he allow this to happen? Well, let's look at the bigger picture because it's when we have the whole picture of the Bible in perspective that we will be, we will actually be able to understand not only how the story makes sense to us today, but how it ties into what happened on Easter Sunday directly and why it is so relevant for us right here and right now. So let's look at God's people. They were given one occupation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They were created to be God's image bearers, and the responsibilities of God's image bearers was to reflect his image to the rest of creation and to establish his living government, his ruling authority on this earth, all while simultaneously ushering the worship of all of creation and reflecting it back unto him. Yet in Genesis 3, we see how humans tragically gave this authority away. They failed at their occupation, and now we see God's chosen nation suffering the results of this tragic mistake. God told Abraham he was going to use his people to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But it was apparent that uh, whatever saving was going to happen through Israel, that Israel was actually in need of some sort of rescuing themselves. So here is the developing theme of Israel's need of a savior, their need of a Messiah uh, in order to accomplish the purposes that God set out with them as them being a nation that we read about in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And although they had a role to play to be God's vessel, Vessel through which he would rescue the world, they in fact needed the same rescuing for themselves. And this would develop much more clearly throughout the rest of the Old Testament, but there is a theme of their slavery in Egypt that I want to highlight, which will ha- actually help bring all of this together for you in your mind. Now, Israel was under forced labor at the hands of very cruel and mean taskmasters. These taskmasters would force them to do things that they didn't want to do. They would oppress them and cause them to change the way they viewed themselves. And this suffering that they put the Israelites through was so embedded into their minds that when given the opportunity to be free, these Israelites, uh, we'll read later in the Bible, actually wanted to remain in slavery. They actually wanted to go back to the place they were free From because their mind was so corrupted and formed by the slavery that they were in. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Does this sound familiar to you in your own life? Have you ever felt this way? What about sin? What is the results of sin in your own life? Doesn't sin bring about these same effects, these same stains of perspective and self-identity? Don't you go down this road being in chains of of oppression and sin and you begin to think different and act different and look different and people begin to not... Uh, be able to recognize you and you begin to talk and think in ways that you never imagined. And that's what we see happening to the people of God. That's what we see happening to the children of Israel. And what I believe God is showing us and, and his people is that these taskmasters actually represented an even deeper and more universal condition in the hearts of fallen humanity. Just like Israel needed to be rescued from the slavery of these cruel taskmasters, so do all humans, including Israel, need to be rescued from the cruel taskmaster of sin in our bodies and in our lives. Now, with that being said, let's jump back into the story and let's see how Moses and the rest of God's people are set free. So in chapter 11 of Exodus, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Verse 4 So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. The Bible goes on to talk about um, how after revealing the final plague to Pharaoh, the Lord showed Moses how to protect themselves from the coming judgment that was going to fall upon Egypt. Moses was to gather all of Israel and instruct them to take a spotless lamb and kill it, one for each household. They were to take its blood and wipe it on the doorposts of their homes. And when the destroyer came over the land that night, he would see the blood of the spotless lamb on their doorposts of the Israelites and would pass over their houses while they destroyed the firstborn of the Egyptians." The Lord also showed Moses different regulations they were to follow, and they were to eat the lamb as a meal celebrating what was going to take place that night. The Lord instructed Moses to teach Israel these exact instructions, instructions excuse me, so that they could remember to celebrate this important day every year and pass it on to generation to generation. And in Jewish history, this is actually what we know as the Passover celebration. So the Israelites did all of this. And that night, the Lord had sent judgment upon Egypt and the firstborn of all the land Was killed. And when the people woke up in the morning, there was so much mourning and pain that Pharaoh finally demanded for the Israelites to leave the land. And as instructed and as prophesied in Genesis chapter 15, the Israelites asked for wealth and resources on their way out, and the Egyptians gave them the gold and silver and many other resources so that the children of Israel left with an abundance of wealth. Now, God led them in a specific direction that would cause them to be backed against the wall and once again to have to put their complete trust in God for rescuing them. Now, with their backs towards the Red Sea and no way across, Moses puts his staff in the ground and the Lord causes the water to be split into two and we imagine this dramatic scene of the water uh, slowly uh, rising and elevating and and eventually becoming two uh, elevated uh, places of water where there was a a pathway in the middle where the uh, Israelites, were able to walk through. So they march right through dry ground with water elevated to the right and to their left. And as Pharaoh's army comes rushing towards them, they run right through this trap that's set by God. And as soon as they were in the middle of the sea, God causes the water to come down upon Pharaoh's armies and Israel, Israel's enemies are dramatically dealt with swiftly and surely. Now that day, I want you to get something, Israel had been rescued, they had been redeemed, and God was continuing his plan of identifying them as a great nation of people, a nation that would be set apart for God alone, and through whom God would accomplish his redemptive purposes for the rest of the world. Now, many many of us have heard this story often, we know the story, we've heard it quite a few times, but let's pull back and let's look at some themes that stand out and really tie the resurrection story story together for us. First, I want to talk about the Passover meal itself. There are several elements in it that are very significant. First is they were to eat bitter herbs within this meal. That was part of the regulations that God was instructing Moses to teach Israel. The bitter herbs actually signifies the bitterness of slavery, and they were to remember this by eating this the bitter herbs, and to look back and remember what it was like to live in a pagan nation, to remember what it was like to live under pagan gods and under slavery and oppression. If Israel would remember this throughout the generations, they would never want to go back to that state of living. They would never want to go back to that place where they were under the oppression of the taskmaster. Although we would actually see in their journey within the wilderness that. Many of them grew weary traveling and actually began to desire to go back to slavery in Egypt. And isn't that just the same with so many people that we have seen in our lives? And if we could be honest, possibly even ourselves. We get saved and redeemed from our past. God's Spirit empowers us to break off the chains of slavery and sin and walk free. But as time goes on, we grow weary in life and on the journey, and we begin to look back to our past. And rather than remembering the bitter moments, rather uh, remembering the darkness of oppression that we experienced— we somehow view our past as being fun. We somehow view our past as being desirable. And then sadly, some of us turn around and walk right back into the chains of sin only to find ourselves in even worse of a condition than when we began. And that's what the uh, bitter herbs was meant to signify and, rem- and remind the Israelites of the bitterness. Don't look back to the past. Don't, uh, don't forget about the oppression the enemy had over your life. The second theme of the Passover meal was the fact that there was to be no yeast in the bread. Yeast represented sin and impurity. Sin, like yeast, remains hidden within and slowly spreads until it consumes everything. The same is in our own lives. It can remain hidden for a season, sometimes multiple seasons, but eventually it will find its way into every area, every strand of our life, and we will uh, find ourselves eventually and ultimately chained down and oppressed, much like the children of Israel were under the cruel oppression of their taskmasters. And this shows us something. Sin was not to be messed with. And to make this point, God said that there was to be absolutely no yeast in the house of any Israelite for those seven days of Passover. And if there was, this person with whom it was found was to be completely cut off from the nation of Israel. Now, listen, we should take special note of the severity of sin in the eyes of God and his people, and maybe possibly take inventory of our own house if there was any yeast to be found, we should be completely we should completely remove it from all areas of our life, which represented the house of the Israelites. so moving on finally. The most important aspect of Passover was the lamb. The body of the lamb and the blood spilled from its death were both extremely significant to the future resurrection of Israel's king. Israel was told not to boil the lamb, but to roast it, making sure the body stayed intact and no bones were broken. Now, get this, it's this kind of interesting. If the lamb was boiled in the water, the meat would have slid off the bones. And the body would not have remained whole and intact. And thousands of years later, the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world was nailed to the cross, but not one bone on his body was broken. And his flesh did not decay or slip off the bones because three days later he would leave that grave in a brand new resurrected body. God was showing us something here that we too will one day not only live in the Lord's presence, but we will also have a brand new body that is whole and complete. Can we just thank God in our spirits, in our heart right now for that fact, for that amazing promise that we got? And moving on to the second part of the lamb, the blood of the spotless lamb that was painted on the doorposts marked the children of Israel and it kept them safe when judgment hit Egypt. Death would ultimately hit Egypt, but because there was blood marking their houses, marking the houses of the Israelites, death would pass them over. Now, thousands of years later, blood would be spilled by the sinless Lamb of God on the cross, just like it was a spotless lamb that they, had, that they needed to sacrifice and use that blood to pour on their uh, doorposts, so did we have a sinless Lamb of God who was slain on the cross, and this blood would cover and mark everyone who called upon the name of Jesus. And the Bible would tell us that it is this blood that actually marks excuse me, it actually marks the born-again child of God and allows them to cross the veil that once separated man from God's presence and now God's new creation would have full access to him, full access to God's presence. And what an amazing thing we are seeing here. And I wanna stop and pause for a second to allow you to reflect upon the magnitude of the Exodus and what happened on that day. I want you to think about this. Israel was enslaved by cruel taskmasters. They were forced to do things that they did not want to do. They had been given an identity that was less than their God-given destiny as being a royal priesthood. And this was a theme that painted the picture of the condition of the whole entire world. We will learn as the Bible continues to develop that the entire, the entire world is actually enslaved to cruel taskmasters, and these taskmasters are sin. And sin will force God's created humans to do things that they don't want to do, to live as less than what they were destined to be. Sin would force humans into oppression and slavery. Sin was the cruel taskmaster. And God was sending judgment on sin, just like he sent judgment upon these taskmasters in Egypt. And just like he sent judgment, judgment came. It was the blood of Jesus that would mark the people of God as being safe, as being part of his covenant family. When someone enters into God's covenant family, which is the children of Abraham, They only enter into by one way, and that is by being marked by the blood of Jesus and turning from their sin by remembering their bitter past of oppression. Remember the bitter herbs. They they turn from sin by remembering their bitter past of oppression and removing all sin from their life which is, uh, as we remember, the unleavened bread, they remove all sin from their life by repenting from their past and accepting a new life that is focused on living as being truly human and bearing the image of God. And the story of the Exodus is an amazing forecast of what was to come. Now, today we live in the fulfillment of this great story. We who have been brought into God's family by the blood of Jesus, we live this fulfillment and we are now restored to our own original human assignments to bear the image of God, to establish God's ruling authority upon this earth while simultaneously ushering the worship of all of creation and reflecting it back unto him. So I want to challenge you as we approach the final episode uh, of this Easter series to reflect upon Easter Sunday and what it truly means for us in our lives. Do you recognize that you are God's rescued people? That you have been snatched out of the slavery of sin and have been brought into a new land, a land that represents a relationship with God, in tune with his presence, bearing his image and truly fulfilling your role as you were created to? Let's focus our hearts and minds unto God and His Spirit. Let us never forget the bitterness of our past oppression, yet let's remember the sweetness of His presence because of the great and powerful blood of Jesus. Death has passed us over. Darkness no longer has its hold on our lives, and we are able to walk freely into the presence of God and receive all that we need to to live out our assignments upon this earth knowing this, we should set out each day understanding our obligations as stewards of his presence in this world. Our prayer as modeled by Jesus is not to sit back and wait for God to one day take us away from this world where we can live in a distance heaven forever with him. Rather, he taught us to pray for his kingdom to be established on earth today as it is in heaven. In other words, to move forward towards the complete restoration of this heaven and earth connection that we see back in Genesis 1. Remember, heaven and earth has always been designed to function in unity with each other. So let us bear his image to his creation. Let us reflect his love while we steward his authority and presence on this earth so that we can destroy the works of the devil and establish his kingdom now and today. All the while, we usher the worship and the adoration of all of his creation and reflect it back to him with willing and joyful hearts. That is the call of the sons and daughters of God. And that's what was accomplished on Resurrection Sunday. We'll learn exactly how this happened during the resurrection of Jesus on our next and final episode. I hope you all have a great week. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.